You're listening to the 268 Podcast, brought to you by Cannings Purple. Whether you're running a dog walking business, delivering flowers, or operating some of the biggest mining projects in the world, consensus is that you need a website. But how many companies really know why they need a website, or how to get the best out of theirs? Hello, I'm Morgan Ballantyne, host of the 268 Podcast, and joining me today to help answer these questions is Glenn Langridge, Cannings Purple's Digital Marketing Manager and an expert managing website builds, and also Ray Jordan from our Corporate Affairs team. So Glenn, you've launched dozens of websites over the time that you've been at Cannings Purple, so why does a business need one? I'll start by talking about the internet. The penetration of internet globally is 57%. That's growing annually by 9%. When you narrow that down to Australia, 87% of Australians access the internet every day. So where do websites live? They live on the internet. When I talk to people about websites, I, I always um, I tell them it's the heart of everything that you do uh, online. It's the only thing that you actually own at the end of the day. You can build a Facebook page, you can build an Instagram following. And if these platforms change their rules, or they shut down, it's gone. Um, and, and we see this time and time again with uh, people building platforms on, the, on things like MySpace. Um, you know, no one really uses MySpace anymore. In fact, it doesn't really exist. Um, so to, to have a website is to have your own space in the digital world. So, Ray, <laughs> um, I guess from the corporate affairs perspective, um, rather than being in the digital team, um, what do you see the value in um, having your own website to be? Well, I mean, I, I, I do see value in a, in a website, obviously. I mean, it's a place for information. From a corporate affairs perspective, I'm not talking about selling. Uh, I see, I go to websites all the time to, to buy stuff or at least browse, which I think is probably what a lot of people do. Or booking flights on frequent flyers. <laughs> or booking flights on frequent flyers, indeed. indeed. But I mean, I go to I go to websites specifically and, and I access them through, you know, I'm, I'm pretty clever really, I, I go through Google and I find them and I, and I locate them and I click on the website. And a lot of the things that I'm doing um, in, you know, in corporate affairs, it's a very useful um place to go for for information for background and, and and it and it sort of allows me to keep linking back going further and further back if you like it's a it is the initial sort of point of contact for so many things I do a lot of research in writing and I do it from a personal perspective and I use sometimes I go to websites to give me some triggers and some words that allow me to dig deeper into another space so and that may not be intentional from that website but that's how I tend to use it so you know that's one aspect from a from a personal uh, perspective, but there are other ways that um, you know we um, in corporate affairs we're we're working with uh, with companies and clients that that have their websites and populating those websites with what we consider as useful information that helps build the brand and builds builds uh, the awareness of of that particular client and that company, um, and it's a it's a way of ensuring you know, that uh, messaging is consistent, at least uh, we're going a long way towards uh, ensuring it because at the very start, 
we get the wording right and the messaging right. So now if it's misinterpreted later, we've got very little control of that, but we can go back and, and continually try to refine that. So I, from a corporate affairs perspective, I think it's very useful. From a personal personal perspective, I find it, uh, I use, use websites every day to begin the process of digging for more research. So like Glenn, from a um, technical framework perspective, um, what do you need in a website more so than um, just looking at it visually? Websites are funny because you can get one for 500 bucks or you can get one for $50,000 and uh, somewhere in between is probably the one that you're after. Um, so whenever I'm advising on, on websites, it's to think about the things that are deeper than what uh, just the visuals. Um, so having a website that looks really slick and speaks to your branding and your style and everything is is vital. In, in fact, if, if you don't have that, 75% of website visitors will never visit you again if they don't like what they see uh, visually from your website. Um, and that's it. That's a huge amount of lost, um, lost eyeballs and interest um, that just can't be ignored. Um, some of the other things are you have to think about speed of your website and speed Lots of things play into speed. The the technical structure of the website, where it's hosted, for example, um, will also determine speed. Um, and if if your site uh, delays by even fifty milliseconds, the likelihood is someone will will leave your website. And that seems like an inconceivable amount of time. However, this is how everyone has just come to terms with. You know, things are instant. If they're not happening straight away, then then you know you've you've missed the boat. And um, it's. It's been estimated that $3.8 billion worth of lost sales are caused by a slow-loading website. Um, one thing that intrigues me, I mean, I've looked at creating my own website for from a branding perspective, um, and I, you know, you can buy, you can look at them online, and just everyone's selling websites. So why would I, and they seem relatively cheap, um, I think they, there's a a yearly fee or a monthly fee to maintain them and whatever. I haven't haven't really gone into too deeply and I don't know uh, the complexity of them, but they can at least build, they look quite quite good from what I can see. So why would someone spend a lot of money on a website that's doing the same thing uh, and when they can get one of these off-the-shelf websites? It's like having a shell house. Uh, you can have a beautiful garden in the front door, you can walk in and there's just nothing in there. Um, nothing's where it should be. You walk straight into the bathroom and you're expecting to be in a, in a dining room, for example. Um, so buying one of those websites, they're, they're what's called templated or off-the-shelf websites. So that's kind of down one side of the spectrum. Right up at the top of the, um, the spectrum is custom websites. So this is the space that, we, that I play in, um, in that you don't want to be pulling something off the shelf using a kind of DIY like a, like a Wix or a Squarespace or something like that. Um, if you want to get a high level of customization. And I'll explain why. It's the technical capacity of the back end. So if you buy an off-the-shelf, they give you everything. So you get everything in your website. Um, if you build it custom, you cherry-pick the things that you need. Um, what that does is it, it means that the lines of code, so that the code supports the, um, the website, goes from 100 to maybe 20,000 lines of code. So you have all this unnecessary clutter and mess in your website, which makes it less user-friendly, it makes it load slower, and it means that you're a little bit limited in some of the marketing um, uh, side of things. Um, and then finally, there's the, the mobile responsiveness. Um, so mobile responsive uh, refers to how it looks on, webs on mobile devices. Um, so that's on 
you, you know, your mobiles or even your iPads, even how it expands up to big TVs as well for presentation style work, um, all needs to be considered. And some of these off the shelves don't really have that capacity to be able to be um, as customized as you'd like. Any dangers with the off the shelf? I mean, you know, from a security perspective or, you know, um, how sound are the, the business? I mean, someone's running them and they're a business. I mean, what happens if those businesses fold and so forth? I mean, and you've invested time, resources, and you've got a lot of stuff hanging there. Are there any dangers or risks? I think whenever you're using an off-the-shelf, you're more likely than not inviting someone else's code onto your website. So using things like a purchased theme or plugins. So a theme is the kind of structure of the site, and plugins are things that allow you to do certain features on a website. Uh, For example, a form or a booking system, they would be... They oh, would be okay. plugins. Right. Okay. So if you're inviting someone else's code, that developer can be sitting wherever they are and change that code at any time, and that is automatically put into your website. So clearly there's some security issues around that. Um, there are some things you can do to prevent that by not having auto-updates and reviewing code and everything. But unless you know code, understand it, and in some senses love it, uh, you're, you're never really going to you're never gonna do that. You're just going to click update because that's the way that we're trained to, to keep things keep things moving. So the the risks are that because anyone can update that that code, um, they will and they'll do it for malicious reasons. Um, and then if you don't update it, it's potentially that they've um, they've actually updated it because they're patching a security issue. So now you've got a gap in your website. So if you update it, you're in trouble. And if you don't update it, you're in trouble. So you're, you're in this space where you're probably better off spending, you know, the little bit extra up front to actually build that piece of code from scratch. Um, that way that you know it's always going to be kept up to date and you're, you're not going to get caught out in this uh, catch-22. Can you, you can build in certainty or is, it there, is there always the very nature of it, an element of risk that's part of managing that risk? It's part of anything. You know, there, there's, there's managing that risk and there's, there's certain things you can do by being reactive to any time there is an update of any plugins or any code that you use. Um, and certainly something I would recommend is being on one of those kind of plans or at least being vigilant of, um, of keeping things up to date. It's part of any good practice. Um, again, you think um, what I was saying about it being a shop front, it's, it's, your, it's your business. Uh, it's, you, need to, you need to take ownership of it and you need to know that the website is as important as your front door, if, that, if that's the case. Yeah. So, so uh, I guess in saying that, like, is having a bad website worse than not having one at all? Well, you heard before that 75% of people will judge you if you have a bad-looking website, um, but that's not to say that you just shouldn't have one at all. Um, you know, According to Google, 61% of users are unlikely to return to a bad website, um, and 40% are going to go to a competitor. So if you don't have a website at all, you lose out 100%. So obviously it's worth having a website, but I'd seriously consider what your website is trying to achieve for you. And if, if, it's, um, if it's the case of having a bad website or actually just working on that a little bit to get it up to speed, um, it'd be something that would be forming part of my strategies. Do you, I mean, going back to the start, um, I guess there are some, a number of steps you'd need to tick off, wouldn't there, about does, you want to say, you've sort of thought, yeah, I wouldn't mind a website. But I guess you then got to work out what you actually want to achieve for the website. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that I I use it one for as a you know looking for websites as a research 
in the beginning of some research and I see how it fits in a corporate affairs, but there are other sort of basically marketing and selling and whatever. So I guess there must be a number of steps you need to tick off and then you, after you've done that, do you, you know, go and find someone who can build it for you? I think you need to know what, you, what you're after and you need to trust um, the, the person that you bring on board. Um, I get it quite a lot where um, people come to me and say, this is what I want in a website, I need this page, I need my services over here, I want it all on one page or various in-betweens. Um, and that's all, that's all great. You know, it makes sense from a business perspective, I get it. Um, but if you haven't thought about the way that your website will be read, by the likes of Google or Facebook or Instagram and all the algorithms and the, um, the advertising metrics that they use, then you're missing out on a huge slice of opportunity. So to explore that a bit further, um, from an SEO perspective, so search engine optimization, um, getting your website ranking up in, in the search results so that people can find you when they're starting that research. Um, if you don't have dedicated pages and you don't have the right structure, you, you may be representing exactly what your business does online, um, but you're not playing into the game. You're not playing into what Google's looking for. And to ignore that is, is a bit, it's a bit reckless and a bit silly, to be honest, um, and something that needs to be considered right from the start. So do you have like a recommended um, time frame to give it a bit of TLC and actually optimise your website as much as you can? It's an ongoing process. Um, I mean, Google Change, they, they have hundreds of algorithm changes a year, um, and all of those will impact on how your website is performing. So up front, there's a lot of care and thinking that needs to be done, and it's not so much, uh, okay, get one off the shelf, and we'll be up in three weeks, and we can launch, and we'll be ready to go, and we're going to make all this money, and everyone's going to know about us, and it's it's not that at all. It's um, It's taking a step back and thinking, what do I want to say on my website? Um, how do I want it to look? And then what technical capacity do I need in the back end to make it actually work and, um, and be found? Right. And FYI, TLC, tender <laughs> love and care. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I did get that. <laughs> um, so, GS. <laughs> <laughs> so um, is there a recommended platform um, that you have or do you find that there's an array that everyone can use based on everyone's capabilities? So there's, there's a front end um, and a back end. That's how websites are kind of talked about. The front end being the visuals and the back end being the technical side of things. So the, the technical side of things would be referred to as a content management system. A content management system is where the everyday person with no coding requirement, uh, coding skills, can go in and start adding blogs and changing images and, and, and kind of making their website their own. Um, there's heaps of content management systems, but... The only one that I would truly recommend, um, unless you're doing e-commerce and that's a separate kind of thing altogether, but for a, a, any business just looking to get their word out there and, and publish content would be WordPress. Um, it's the largest uh, of the content management platforms. It's used by 61% of all websites online. Um, and it's just simply the safest, the best to build on. And it's the most supported. Every developer knows how to build on WordPress. It's kind of where you start. and um, the only thing I would say is that WordPress is a, it, it's on that spectrum. So you can buy off the shelf WordPress.com themes um, and that's when you're going to have your sort of uh, issues with security and you've got lots of plugins, you've got lots of inflated code and then down, what, down the, the top end you've got um, an actual custom website that's been built for purpose and, and doing everything that you want it to do. 
So, Ray, have you had any experience in building websites? Or, I guess you've written a lot of content for websites before. Sorry, but, do you um, realise who you're talking to? <laughs> <laughs> I guess have you ever done a DIY or um, when I, I guess you work closely alongside Glenn? Um, sometimes. The only do-it-yourself <laughs> I've ever done is to try and assemble a desk with IKEA. <laughs> So, no, and I don't think I ever would. I think I'd leave it to professionals. I've, I've looked and dabbled in, in it, and it sort of seems simple, but I've, I'm sort of counselled with caution from what Glenn's been saying that, yes, I could probably sort of build something based on a template, but am I really doing it right? And I'm concerned about the potential security issues, its reliability, and the potential for misinformation or does someone just get in there and stuff things around. So, yeah, I can see where it might be worth spending a few extra dollars to, to do the right thing. And I guess, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge amount. I mean, if it doesn't have to be particularly complex, then I would have thought relatively simple. But Yeah. Yeah. And Glenn, you tend to pace out most of your frameworks. Um, like I sit next to you in the office and uh, you've got your handwritten um, templates, you've got little squares everywhere and images and where you're um, placing everything. So is it actually, is there a particular recipe that you follow or um, or do you just see how it goes based on the client that you've got in front of you? There's a lot of things that go into a good website design. So it's more than just telling the right story. It's actually getting the right structure as well. Um, so without getting too deep into it, things like AdWords, so the Google or Google Ads it's now called, um, the the metrics that they use, it's called a quality score. So that's a number that they give out of 10 to their ads. That quality score is based on numerous things, but one of them is actually the structure of your landing page. So if you're using a website um, page as a, as a landing page for your ad, it needs to be structured in a certain way that Google can read, understand, and attribute a high enough score that you get better ad rotation and you get better performance out of your ads. So a lot of the mock-ups are around actually, yes, placing the information so that the business can tell its story, but then weighing that up with how AdWords or Google Ads, sorry, is going to use the platform and how SEO is going to play into it and all the other um, contributing factors so that you're getting this well-balanced website, not just one that looks amazing, but one that looks amazing and functions and speaks to everything it needs to. Yeah, I think I'm done. I couldn't, uh, I wouldn't even begin to understand that. So I might leave it to professionals. So still in the job, am I right? Well, apparently, yeah. I just thought you were doing noughts and crosses on the, on the scribbles, but now I know, I understand. Well, that's it for today's episode of the 268 Podcast. Hopefully you now know exactly why you need a website and how best you can do it. Thanks for your time, Ray and Glenn. I look forward to chatting with you both again soon. Um, and thank you also listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of it, please subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget, for all of Canning's Purple's thought leadership and multimedia content, visit the268.com.au and sign up for our newsletter. You're listening to the 268 Podcast, brought to you by Canning's Purple.